Uh, my name is Ronnie Worsham. I'm one of the old timers here. Uh, I'm actually pinch hitting for Garrett today. Garrett was supposed to preach and he's home being a sicky a little bit. So we're going to switch out uh, for this. So you get me uh, today. Um, so for those of you that labor, happy Labor Day. I've never known how to celebrate Labor Day. It seems like most people don't labor on Labor Day, but they all leave town or stay home and sleep late. But, uh, yeah, the last time I was up here, I was waxing scientific, and I mentioned greenhouse gases, but instead I said greenhouse grasses. And we had several people that that conjured people growing weed in greenhouses. Uh, I didn't mean that at all for those of you that caught that. And, of course, Garrett, I'm sure, pointed it out uh, for everyone uh, and called me senile. But... I'm really not. I do conveniently forget things, though, uh, and it works well. I like it a lot. Super excited about the church. It's been a, it's really been a neat fall. We've been in a period of transition. I stepped down as a senior pastor back in June, but we really started this process uh, over a year and a half ago, and I just want to commend the church for uh, just what you've done as a church. Um, certainly, uh, Tori and the young guys have all done a great job of kind of continuing to orchestrate things and drive things along with our elders and deacons and and I still get to work with them. They haven't fired me yet, although they've threatened a couple of times, but uh, I keep telling them things I already know about them and they back off each time. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I, I love hearing this time of the year about focus and what's going on on our campuses. I'm kind of in a place I get to hear lots of stories about what's going on. For those that don't know, we're a part of a family of churches. We're not a denominational, not a denomination, but we are a bit interdenominational in the sense that we have people that come from a lot of backgrounds and we unite around Jesus as Lord very devoted to the scripture and to walking in the spirit. <clears throat> but our, our mission is a, a niche mission in the sense that we're planting churches and driving campus ministry, as well as building a loop for young people to grow up through churches all the way through college and into our young adult ministries and and to wherever else they, they choose to go. We're a kingdom church uh not just trying to create a local community church. We are trying to help the kingdom at large. And we believe that God is moving in our churches at large, trying to bring us back together and realizing we've got to quit fighting each other and quit arguing over minutia and come to agree on the things that are really big and important and then try to help each other. And into that, in that vein, we can certainly learn from each other. And, and we are very blessed to be able to learn from a lot of people here that bring lots of experiences. Uh, this church is our original church, was started back in the very end of 1997. Uh, and now we have a church in Wiley, a church in Plano, a church in Denton, a church in Arlington. Um, and uh, those churches are all doing well. I was in Denton last week. 
Uh, it's just so neat to see the vibrancy and see how God's moving in each of the churches. And I meet with people from those churches as well as Focus, as well as CTF. Our track ministry just continues to move forward. Spark had a retreat this weekend. I hope maybe Jesse came back stronger uh, from that. He needed really some help from you guys, but I'm kidding. He uh, coordinates our Spark ministry, which is kind of focused on uh, our college graduates as they come out having a place to kind of plug in, minister to each other, but to minister to others that may not be finding a place out there uh, to kind of get into this uh, next stage of life. So yeah, commendation here. We're in a series on the book of Ephesians. If you're going to be a part of this and would like, you can go back and listen to Aaron's introductory sermon last week. I thought he did a great job, uh, which really surprised us all. No, just kidding. Aaron did a great job introducing the sermon. If you, Our website is thenortheastchurch.com. You can go there um, and, and, see, and listen to all of our sermons and... Um, and, and uh, hear what he had to say about that. Again, it was an introduction. Um, Paul wrote this letter to, I believe, the church at large. Uh, it has the word Ephesus in it and in it, its introduction, but some of the earlier transcripts don't have that in there. And the book of Ephesians is written like a circular letter. It probably ended up at Ephesus uh, in the way it's written which I think makes it even um, a bigger deal to us because I think Paul was writing a letter to say, here's, here's what it means to live in Christ. Here's what it means to be a Christian. Here's what it means to be a part of the church. And it's clear a lot of times we don't get what that means. The, the scope of the implications, lots of people claim to be Christian, but for those that kind of know the word a little better, you're going, well, it doesn't look very Christian sometimes. You don't act very Christian sometimes. And, and I think a lot of that's out of ignorance. Uh, some may be wittingly, some may be unwittingly uh, that we kind of like to be ignorant. And, and yet, you know, the, the, the tendency is to feel guilty. That's not the point. If you don't get what it means to Jesus, you are missing out on blessings. You're missing out on the good stuff. Uh, the gospel is what leads us to come to faith. It leads us to salvation. But the gospel is, is the gate that Jesus said the gate is narrow. And he told us he is the gate. He is the narrow gate. There's one way to God. And Jesus was very emphatic. Unless you believe that I'm the one I claim to be, you'll die in sin. He, he did not equivocate on that matter. Uh, can God save people outside of that? God can save whomever he wants, and I'm all for it. I hope you are. But we don't have that authority to give that to people, and that's not our deal. Jesus was clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John 14, 6. Again, no equivocation there. There's no vacillation there. Because Jesus said the, way, the gate is broad and the, the way is wide that leads to destruction and many go there. And you've got to remember when he says that he's talking to the religious people at the time in a gospel that's specifically addressed to the church. 
And in that same vein, he's going to say, many are going to say to me in the end, you know, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform miracles in your name? And then I'm going to clearly tell them, get out of here, you're evildoers. I've never known you. That we can certainly claim salvation, but if you don't get to know Jesus really well and understand what he's doing in his Christian community, you're just missing out and you might miss out in the biggest way and let us all be warned. However, Ephesians is not written to create insecurity. It's written to create security. That God is really, really good and very forgiving. And what Christ brought us is this new view of God that is not based on performance. It's not based on a rule system. It's not based on you being good enough, meditating enough, climbing your way up somewhere to find God. It's about a God that has come down to us. He's come down to us to meet us where we are and help us to grow in a relationship with Him. We don't climb our way to God. We believe our way to God. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But that's what this is about. In the first chapter, he uses the expression in him or in Christ uh, 12 or 15 times in that text, making it really clear, starting with saying that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ, that this is God's plan. God planned from the beginning that through the church to do what he did. I know a lot of us have had our doubts about that. How could God plan this and the church be such a mess? Well, we could talk about that a while. How could God plan the world and the world be such a mess? Well, we could talk about that a while. You know, how could you plan your family and your family be such a mess? You know, I don't think any of us start there, but God has a plan of redemption and he's doing something much bigger than us. And a lot of the things that we accuse the church of, accuse Christians of, are the very things that God is destroying through the church and manifesting himself in. Now, God is not condoning sin, but trust me, he's using it any more than he condones the work of Satan. But he's using it. All things will work out together for the good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. God is working out everything in conformity to his will, Ephesians 1, 11. So we can be assured of that. So this letter is helping us out here. And let's read this text, Ephesians 1, 1 to 10. <clears throat> and I'm going to actually read into uh, down to verse 13 and Tanya is going to say don't you preach on that this is Tanya's text for next week and it is a transition paragraph from this little thing into what Tanya is going to be talking about next week if she does what she's been assigned which I probably won't but she might uh, she's not near as much of a rule keeper though as her husband Strotter that was up here earlier she we're all afraid of Tanya around here but uh Ephesians 2, 1. 
As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works with God's prepare, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So let us look at just a few thoughts that come from this. For many evangelical Christians, this is a very well-known text, particularly verses 8 and 9, and deservedly so. But the first thought I want to say is what he's saying is remember who you were without Christ and who you, who you are now with Christ. Hopeless. Hopeless. Now, in, in the Bible, the word hope comes from a word that means expectation. It's not what we would use as hope. We say that often here, but it's important because people will equate hope now with a wish. I wish this would happen. Hope is, I plan to eat lunch today. I expect to have lunch. And I have a lot of reason to expect to have lunch. And you guys are looking, saying, looks like you've eaten too much lunch, worship. But no, I am a very good eater and a very healthy eater. I hope to have lunch today. I expect that. Um, because I have reason to believe it's going to happen. I've never missed lunch in my life. What he says in this text, verses 1 to 3, in this verses 11 to 13, he says, you were dead in transgressions and sins. There, there was no removal of sin apart from what God did. History is history. You did what you did. You didn't do what you didn't do. And the fact is, every sin carries with it the death penalty. We learned that in the Garden of Eden story. There is nothing in between. And, 
and we're dead in it. We're hopeless and dead here. There's two kinds of life in the Bible. One is the spirit life. It's the Greek word zoe, Z-O-E. And the other is physical life. And that's the word bios and the variations in Greek, B-I-O-S, that we get biology from. And he's saying here, this, this is the death that's a loss of zoe. Now, it eventually brings the death in bios. And that's what we see depicted in the Garden of Eden, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life and humanity choosing to try to go it on our own. This is unmitigated humanism and it's been around from the original sin and every generation reinvents it and thinks they, they call it something differently. Call it secular, call it existentialism, call it, call it what you want. It's just unmitigated putting humans on the throne. <clears throat> you can see it in our society today in that everything is serving humans. If I don't want to have a baby, I should be able to have unprotected sex. And then if I do conceive, I should be able to kill it. Now, guys, I'm not heartless here. I've talked to lots of women, this is a heartbreaking thing, but it is a heartbreaking thing. Yes, we can be heartful and still believe something is wrong. I should be able, if I don't have a job and I don't have any way to get money, to go down and steal from the store down here and haul it out. Oh, and because of that, I'm going to have my own truth. I get to have my own truth because I am, in fact, equal with God. And to do that, you have to deny God. Now, this is not a new trick. Satan has no new tricks. He's doing the same thing over and over again. And we unwitting humans, because we want to gratify our sinful natures, open our mouths and let him pour crap in it. And we believe it and it destroys us. We're not going to get better by Christian militancy we're not going to get better by conquering the world. We're going to get better by surrender, by trusting, going back to the tree of life and eating from Jesus, you know, and just believing in the God that Jesus demonstrated full of grace and truth, John 1, 14, that he was and still is. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what we see in Jesus is an incredible contrast to every depiction of God that the world had, had ever had to offer. And if we as Christians will go back to that, it demonstrates God over and over again. And it's when we quit following Jesus well that we quit his, doing his mission well. Dead in sin, following the ways of the world, and the prince of the world, the ruler of the world, Satan himself, evil, evil himself, the same person who instigates all the evil in the world that you now hate. Look at the division in our country. But we as God's people are peacemakers. Do we bring peace by figuring out the issues of social justice? No. But if we come to know Jesus, we'll come to understand true justice. And sometimes... That's what the world may think it is. Other times it may be the opposite. But we're going to figure that out by looking at the Spirit of Christ. He says that you followed the cravings and thoughts and desires of our flesh or sinful nature. 
I spend a lot of time counseling people that and those that are older, it's almost always trying to help them undo things they did that they shouldn't have done in the first place. Bad marriages, sinful relationships, counseling young people, it's almost always the sins that have been inflicted on them by their family and other people around them. And what God said to Israel, if only you had listened to my words, your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. In a text in Isaiah 48, beginning in verse 17, if only you'd listened. But God promised that he will not be mocked. Whatever you reap, that you will sow. You're not going to trick God. You're not going to fool God. The only fool in that endeavor is us if we go that way. He says you were deserving of God's wrath and you don't want to get cross with God. Our scripture makes it really clear. Don't mess with God. Don't mess with Him. You, you really ought to get to know Him. People say, oh, that's the way God is, then I can't believe in Him. Oh, so if you can't believe it, then it can't be true, huh? Wow. You must be awfully authoritative. There's a lot of things I don't like, but it's real. Are you with me here? Be careful. Formerly Gentiles, here he's talking about outsiders. We have people here that got to live as non-citizens for a while. Some were brought here. Their parents didn't come quite, you know, the, the legal path. And so they kind of had to hide a lot of their life. That's no fun to feel that way. I remember talking to a young lady and her just crying, explaining just how she felt. But it wasn't her choice. She was brought here. And even when people that came here, I can understand why desperate parents want to come here if their kids are threatened in their world, can't you? Now, I'm not making a statement about what's right or we ought to do or ought not do. I'm making a statement about I understand. I know, you know, but I know what it's like to be on the outside, and that's what he's talking about. They were the, the Jews in those towns had treated the Gentiles as outsiders. And so when these Gentiles were becoming Christians in churches that had Jews there that were a part of that, suddenly now these Jews that excluded them and considered them outsiders were, were still a little bit kind of doing that to them. That's the challenge we face in church today is our churches as our society becomes more multicultural, then we, we, we have to really work not to have a prevailing culture lest, you know, those of you that come from a different place or a different culture feel left out. Gosh, we Texans can not only kind of be tempted like a lot of Americans to leave out people that aren't American, we can be tempted to leave out people that aren't Texan because we think we're pretty special down here. You know what I mean? Is that unique to Texas, though? No. Those of you that were self-righteous in that moment, you can go ahead and say your prayer for that because you're just as guilty. That's what God told the Jews. When you condemn others, you condemn yourself because you do the same thing. Get off your throne there. He says you're separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship. You're foreigners to the covenants of God's promises. Without hope, without God in the world. That's scary. And what he's saying is you need to remember without Christ, that's where you are. 
See, you can be thankful in this way, and thankfulness is the key to joy. <clears throat> if you find yourself with a mood disorder, and gosh, I'm at the front of that pack. Um, I've written a book on depression. I know what that is. I have these inner moods that haunt me. But I can tell you the most important antidote to that is thankfulness. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Find the thing. Find the thing. You know? So that's what we do, is we find the thing. Every circumstance. If you've lost somebody you love, rather than just being resentful for the fact that they're not going to still not going to still be with you, be thankful that you had somebody you loved. That's not to say I, I'm going to be glad that they passed. No, that's not that at all. But it's the way to deal with grieving. It's, it's with thankfulness in our society. You know, in every circumstance, there are things to be thankful for. And for those of us that know the Lord, we just go back to that. Jesus is Lord. God's got this. You'll hear Christians say that all the time. God's got it. I don't think they're making light of what's going on. They're, they're, they're making important what's important because he does have it. Number two here is after remembering who you were without Christ is to remember who God has shown himself to be in Christ. And that is exceedingly good and kind. Gosh, guys, it's, it's hard for us to grow up. As a kid... I had a dad that could be very cruel. I've told this story a lot, but for those that don't know me, uh, he could be extremely cruel. And he could be cruel to, to other people. He was very cruel to animals. Uh, Jack and I were talking, Jack, my brother, goes here. Uh, I won't tell you which one he is because I don't want you talking to him about me. But uh, we were talking about this and just how cruel he was to animals. Uh, he killed one of our dogs with an axe or a hatchet. That's all he had. God, the, the dog had mange, so he needed to die. It's like, well, we had good reason to be a bit scared of him. We had good reason. But as, as Jack and I were the youngest of eight, we grew up, we got less and less afraid of, of him. Jack kind of taught me a lot of this because he related to my dad differently. He was a year and a half older than I, and, and, and I kind of would watch him deal with that, and I, I, I learned to deal with that very differently. And behind all of this stuff that made us afraid, our dad was really zealous for his kids. He just messed up. And here was an old country guy that grew up in an alcoholic home, was taught to fight early on and did all of his life, uh, was a fighter. Um, he was taught to treat animals that way, I guess, somewhere. But he raised eight kids, ultimately that all became Christians, all lived good lives. Five out of eight have master's degrees. Seven out of eight have bachelor's degree. We were the first generation to go to college. Most pastors could be envious of what this really rough and tumble countryman who did not believe in God until he was 
nearly 70. I baptized my dad into Christ in his old age. But honestly, in a lot of ways, it was seeing what was behind all of that. You know, he was just fierce for his kids and he was scared. He wanted us to be better than him. Well, in seeing what was behind my dad, I could get beyond all of that. But it took me way into adulthood. And Jack and I both became his pastors as he aged. We could say things. We called him Kelly a lot of times. We quit because it kind of got his feelings hurt over it. But we started relating to him. And I think God did a lot of that. God looked out for us, did some really special things in those years. But what he's saying is God is good. Guys, I was talking to, to a brother this morning that we met for breakfast. And we were just talking about this whole fundamentalist view of God and, and what that even is. And that's another subject. But just just talking about my growing up in a very conservative, fundamentalist church that took things literally and broke the New Testament into rules and how even that brought this, my relationship with God was very fear-based. What's going to send you to hell? Everything, you know, and there were lots of things that sent people to hell. And my dad would even say growing up in discussions about God, he'd say, well, I know where I'm going to go when I die. I'm going straight to hell. And there were days I thought he had already taken us there with him uh, as miserable as he could make us. But, but in the church I was a part of, well, if you do this, you're going to go to hell. If you do that, you're going to go to hell. There was very little talk about heaven. And when you did it, it didn't sound very nice. We're going to go to a place that's got streets of gold and gates of pearl. Well, that's what every 12-year-old boy's looking for, you know. <laughs> What I'd like to do today, I'd love to be in a place with gold streets. You know, it's just like, well, I don't know how to even look forward to that. And then we're going to sing all, we're going to be in church the rest of our lives. It's like, oh my. <laughs> Yikes. But the, per, the gate, the doors are going to be pearly and the, the floors are going to be gold. So it'll be okay. You'll enjoy church then. And what we find here is that God is is great in love. I didn't see God as great in love. It wasn't that he wasn't. It wasn't that people didn't say that. I just didn't get it. Part of maturing is to get that. He is a God of great love, that he's rich in mercy. I saw God as cruel and poor in mercy. Now, I couldn't have articulated that, but that's the way I felt. I had to work really hard, and then he might forgive me. You know, the Baptists, we were really worried about them going straight to hell because they didn't know about the truth about baptism. They, they, they didn't think it had anything to do with salvation. And we believed it was the magic moment and had everything to do with, with, with salvation. We weren't really worried about them. I, I, I think that, you know, we were glad that they were going to hell. But I'm being facetious. But it was this mentality they believed in once saved, always saved, which we thought was very sinful. And we believed in once saved, barely saved, which I know is very sinful. You know, if saved at all, you know, it was like, oh my gosh, you get caught in these things that people do. God is great in love. He's rich in mercy. He's full of grace. You get around a godly person and you're going to have a hard time offending them. You'll have to work at it. Now, they may get upset with you, but it's going to be about you, not them. 
It's going to be about other people, not them. Because it's not about them. When you get the grace of God, you don't have to play God anymore. God is that good. God's got me. God's got me. I've watched him in my worst days, in my most legalistic days, in my biggest struggles. God was faithful. And I can see God way back there now. It really does hearken us back to Paul's prayer of 1, 18 and 19 in Ephesians, where he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart can be open, that you can see, know this hope, this expectation he's called you to. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Now, if you're trying to play God and you think okay means that you've got the nice house in the suburbs with 2.2 kids and 2.2 cars and whatever else that you've kind of got in your head, no, that's not the hope he's called us to. It's much better than that. What he's called you to is if you don't have a car, it's going to be okay. And you're going to make the decision about how many cars and kids and what kind of house you're living by God. And it's going to be okay. He's going to free you from trying to please people and live up to people's standards or live down to their standards. You go be God's woman. You go be God's man. You be God's people. You be God's family. Figure that out and God will handle you. Satan seeks to convince us that he and we are God. Now we don't articulate that. I'm watching you. These Devons up here it gets kind of rowdy sometimes. I think he was just texting right then. I don't think you had it open to scriptures right that moment. <laughs> you can see me after. See me right after. He's looking up here and saying, Are you really doing this to me? And I'm looking back saying, mm -hmm, I am. <laughs> Just an example. There are others doing that. Brandon is a notorious church texter. It's the new way of, but I answer to him now, not he to me, so I can't do much about him. But, but Devin, he's still in high school. I can abuse him. <clears throat> he seeks to convince us that we're God. We have our own truth. I need some me time. Oh, that fixes people. That just makes people as crazy as the people that are fixing them. But, you know, we're not. Jesus is. He's the truth. We have this objective standard. I just need to figure that out. And then I know what the goal is. And I don't have to play God because I'm not qualified, not even anywhere near that. So we are given these, these things like prayer. These Christian relationships that we're in, that, that we can see different angles from God and learn from fellowship, worship, the Lord's Supper, special events to constantly remind us who God really is. He's the nicest person in the world. He's the most loving. He's the most merciful. And all those stories Jesus told us and those lessons he taught us and those examples he made for us tell us that God is good. And you're going to hear this testimony around here a lot if you hang around. 
is you're going to hear particularly leaders say, I'm not here because I'm good. I'm here because God is good. And God appoints us and lets us do these awesome things. Not because we're good, but because we have his last name. I'm putting that in quotes. I'm a Christian. I wear the name of Jesus Christ. I'm in the family of God. And I've been given authority to go make disciples of all the nations, even when people don't like it. By the president of the world, Jesus Christ. So remember who God has shown him to be. This awesome God that is fierce, he's fierce over you. He's fierce over his people. You want to make a a godly woman mad? Pick on her kids. And then you'll find out why God did some of the things he did. People were messing with his people. And that's not okay with him. But he wants them to be his people too. Number three, remember who you are now completely safe in Christ. You've got to remember who you were without Christ. You've got to remember who God is so that you can remember who you are now. You're completely safe. I wrote a poem that Pico put to, to, to a song called I Run to You. Because it's something I learned is just on my worst day, don't run from Him, don't hide from Him. In your worst moments, that's when you want to run them. Don't walk, run fast. I found myself in situations in prayer places just getting up and just running back to my little office where I pray in the mornings. I found myself out places just driving and pulling off into a park and just almost running down into a spot where I would go be alone to pray, just to be alone. Because it's there, it's there, it's in that moment, in that situation that I'm safe from me, from the world, from sin, from my mistakes. I'm just safe, just go be with God. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Listen to what he says. There's a testimony here to his grace through his kindness in you. 6 and 7 of Ephesians 2. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now picture this. You're, you're a mess up, and you're really messing up, and God takes you, picks you up. You can't reach that spot. He picks you up like a mom or dad with their kids and sits them where they need to be. And then it says he did this in order that in the coming ages, which we're living right now, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Watch this, the incomparable. There's nothing in this world like it. You will not find the kind of mercy and forgiveness in this world that you find in Jesus. It doesn't happen. Paul says, yes, somebody might dare to die for a righteous person. That's true. Very rarely, but somebody might do this. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, he died for us. While we were enemies, he died for us. And you can't deserve it. And that's good news. You don't have to. You don't have to try to. God wants to use you to let other people see 
the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness. He can save you. You guys think John Ganser's a good guy? He was an extremely worldly guy about 25 years ago. I got to study with him. You think Shannon was a saint? She was not. They were quite the little sinners. <laughs> I studied with them. God saved them. And now they are great leaders in our church. You mean go around the thing? Brandon, when he was real little, <laughs> when he was real little, we lived in a two-story house and it, we got him this really nice, nice, heavy furniture. Well, we got it for his grandpa, I think, bought it for him. But that was back when he was really spoiled. He, his grandpa called him Tiger, so you can do that. That's a good name for Brandon, it's Tiger. <laughs> but he would get these little chairs. The, the, his bedroom came out the stair landing and went straight down to a vinyl, I think, floor. And he would get his little chairs out there and push them down the stairs. And of course, Tana and I would just be in a panic because we thought Brandon had fallen down the stairs. And then we'd see what happened. We went to the top of the stairs and pushed him down the stairs. But, and that's what's wrong with his head now. Just, really, I didn't. Tana did. And I said, don't do that, sweetheart. You know, we're just a testimony of God's grace. We see his kindness. That's why it's important for us to share our testimonies. Because people see you all cleaned up and scrubbed up, looking all good at church, and we're singing. And we're... You ought to know what Tori was when I met her in Juan. Oh, my goodness. There was no yay time going on back then, let me tell you. <laughs> That's why she shares her testimony. Well, I mean, if you really want to hear this story, Juan's waiting on it. He's going, please don't mention me. Juan was a lot worse. She was bad. He still is a lot worse, but we won't get into that now. Neither one of them had dads in their life. And I love getting to be people's dads. I told Angel that when he was talking to me about his dad some weeks ago. I said, let me tell you, that's what your dad did. But let me tell you what our dad did. He gave you the consummate dad to be a spiritual father to you. That's what God did. See, that's God's kindness. And all of us have those stories. If you look, you'll see them. There are things that you did that you deserve to die over. You deserve to get killed by, but you're not. Here you are. There are people and places. And go back and look at those teachers and those coaches and those people that God sent into your life to kind of redirect you and say, don't be stupid, don't. I think about Mr. Kimmel and Mr. Watson. Jack had written a tribute to one of our, it was our junior high shop teacher. He was my seventh grade basketball coach. And we exchanged some messages with some people from our old school. And those were the two Christian men. I remember looking back and there was one Christian woman. She was my high school typing teacher, Miss Dodd. They were through. I, I couldn't have told you that's what it was, but that's who it was. God came to me. He comes to us. If you'll see it, we're saved from all the other stuff by grace through faith. God doesn't need you to get good. 
He needs you to believe He is. Not just to be saved, but to stay saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It's a gift of God. You can't earn it and you insult God when you try to. You want me to say that again? You can't earn God's love, His grace, and you insult the Spirit of grace when you try to. You think, oh, I had a much better day so I can draw near to God. That's an insult to Him. The relationship with God, the closest thing to it in the world is marriage and parenting. But we fall short because we're humans. I don't worry about if I don't have a great day that Tan and I probably aren't married anymore. She's going to divorce me because we've been together a long time. 47 years we've been married. And she's still here. Now I told her after we had four children, if she left, she had to take all four of them with her. (laughs) And that kept her. You know, she stayed in there. You know, it's, it's... We're saved by God's goodness, not ours. What He wants to look in your heart and see right now is you just to decide to believe based on the facts of our Scripture that He is that good. And that's what salvation is. It's what it is in the beginning and it's what it is all along the way. Everything else is a piece of cake. We make everything hard. We keep trying to get communion right and baptism right and the sinner's prayer, which is fairly made up right. And, you know, we just try to do this and then we argue about what's right. When God's looking in your heart, He's checking it. Not because He's trying to judge you. He wants you to get it. And when you finally get it, you connect with Him. Because anything else you believe is not God. You can only relate to God when you get God. The rest of it, you're not relating to God. So constantly remember that you're not here in Christ because you're good, but because of who Christ is. So on your worst day, you're just as safe or saved as you were on your best day. Whatever you measured that by. And then lastly, remember what you are here for. A lot of the blessings of being Christ are just doing what you're here for. And that's what he says, that we are God's workmanship or handiwork created in Christ to do good works. There's nothing more fun and full of blessings than just doing good to people. They might take advantage of you. They might, but your reward is from God, so what are you worrying about it for? I believe that sometimes God rewards us more for doing the crappy stuff that we know not going to be appreciated than He does the stuff we go do. And, oh, you're so awesome. You, you do this and, you know, we get credit for. We're God's handiwork. That's why He says in His Colossian letter, you know, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as of serving God. So in your vocation, serve God with it. Give God the glory. Some of the great conversion stories of Christians and just their example in the workplace. Just living out God. 
Now, that's not enough. If, if you've been a jerk all the time and then suddenly you start trying to share Christ with somebody, it's probably going to cancel out there. We can show his grace and kindness by recognizing what he's done for us, sharing our story, singing our song. What's your song? What's your song? You think, well, I, I grew up in the church, and yeah, how'd you become such a little junior high jerk? You should have been perfect, right? We've all been lost. You don't get to just grow up and stay saved. What he's saying here, all of us were this. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when were you this way. You're not privileged. The Jews thought they were going to be in the eternal kingdom because they were Jews, and Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, mm-mm. Mm-mm. A Jew is a Jew inwardly, and salvation is from the heart. Don't you start thinking that way. You're not privileged. None of us are privileged. There's none righteous among us, no, not one. Don't go there. You've got a story, and you need to find it. So whether you came to Christ young, you need to remember who you were before that. And then you need to look at your sinful nature after and how you've been able to act along the way, and just remember that's what was ruling your life before you gave yourself to Christ. And then remember what your hope is. See, and we can serve His purposes by being on mission. What are you doing in your life? What is your overarching life mission? Christ has called us into this glorious mission of eternity, and we get to be a part of that. And we can serve His purposes by actively doing good deeds in His name. Everywhere we go, rich in good deeds. So remember who you were, eternally hopeless. Remember who God is, exceedingly good and kind. And remember who you are now, completely safe in Jesus. And remember what you're supposed to be about now. And that's serving Christ's purposes in everything you do. God, I pray for this church. I pray you breathe your spirit on us and that you help us to be a light for your goodness and grace um, all day, every day, in strength and weakness, to be thankful in all circumstances and to bring glory to you in that. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and go have a happy Labor's Day.